All right, I need to start the recording again. Yeah, you're live. Okay. Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. What we say? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Okay. What we say? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yeah. That's a lot crystal, isn't it? Yeah, there's an echo, yeah. You see, Salma, that's why you should never vote again. All right, listen to us when we tell you what to do. So the sound is crystal, but is an echo. Yeah, agreed. Are we happy? With, are we happy with the sound? In general, yeah. Maysaradiani is making up her own rules. Yeah. All right, good. All right, we're happy. If we're happy, you're happy. Everybody's happy. <laughs> Bobby J. What is going on? You know that things are serious when Bobby J comes and signs in. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Alime. Alime. They're good. Allah nikasaman. I. Life is messed up, man. Life is messed up, I tell you right now. Okay, now listen. <laughs> Shazada, stop laughing, man. I know that Shazada is laughing. Irfan, just leave me alone, Yara. You lot have messed up my life. Ras, Afshan, you want to just behave yourself, bro. Like it's crackling. There's not a single bit of crackling. Samid, don't ask, don't ask questions you don't want to hear the answer to. Okay? And Abdul Mahid Ali, that is... I just want to be yourself, man. What do you think I descend to that level? What do you think I go to that level? Are we going to have a class today or what? All right. See, I think I said this truth there. There we go. Yeah. Well, said, well done, Salan. As you see, Shaz, you can't even yani, write a flipping notice board properly. 8.30 p.m., it says. Really? Rehan, Shaz, quickly, man. I don't mess around. I'm getting told. Mesara, you got to refresh the page, bro. Someone tell me. Can someone type for Mesara? That she needs to refresh the whole thing. Maysara. Refresh the page. Is it F4? It's F5, isn't it? Jiva, you're lucky because you are late, but we just, we, you know, since, see, Jiva, you know how late you are. We had, we had one class already, and we're on to the second class. Second class, second recording online, third recording here. That's how late you are, Jiva. That's how late you are. So have some sharam, man. Unbelievable, right? So I think we're good. I think everybody is um, uh, here. And, you know, Selchun uh, Hatun is giving us uh, 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 permission to continue. And uh, you lot are messing with my head, okay? All right, it's true. It does take me a while. I'm like one of those old diesel engines, yeah? I get going, I'll get very good miles per gallon. 
but obviously the beginning I require a little bit of you know preheating and all the rest of it all right so let me tell you uh, uh, this okay we let you off uh, we let you off Solange is on the app that's very uh, you know that's good to hear because it shows that it works that's the most important thing all right let's not get uh, thingy uh, let's do two things today okay let's do some dars and then let's do some discussion of uh, end of life end of life planning which we did not do last week last week we debunked the theory by the way i just want to tell you something last week uh ramadan we've got another session we can get in before we discuss ramadan um uh, but uh, but uh, uh, you know, I said to you that the fatwa of Sheikh Abdullah Judea came out. What's fascinating, of course, is that the Braille community, which has been the one big community in the UK, which has been still holding out and doing all this kind of, you know, we're not doing anything, we're not washing, we're not whatever. Most of them are jumping on board now. They've realized that we've been washing all the people correctly, legally, and they've had no evidence for their position, neither shar'i, neither legally, neither health authority-wise. That's the embarrassing part that they gave those fatwas based upon no evidence, you know. Um, so yeah, I got a message today that uh, tomorrow is it tomorrow's one? I think um, I'll be training up the two other main Brailvi Masajid washing centres in Manchester. So that's Vicky Park and uh, Darul Ulum. So that's really a, a great result, not just for Manchester, but starting in the rest of the country now. It's starting to become uh, understood that they got that one wrong. But then you find some very arrogant people who are still trying to maintain their position that they're right and it's about safety and it's just it's not about safety it's about stupidity i'm not talking about the scholars who give the fatwa i'm talking about those who are the protagonists who use those fatwa. anyway so that just goes to show it's important to understand a fatwa especially when it's wrong and then you see the people then coming back from it what i intend to do is to do this uh the lesson and then i think we'll discuss the second thing that i said we we'll speak about last week which is the video that I recorded uh, um, four or five days ago. Um, uh, and maybe if we've got some time, we can do that so lunch afterwards. Maybe we can do that, yeah? Now, um, but just again, remind me in good time, not right at the end. Um, I don't want to make the lesson as long as we did it last time. That's not right. It's not fair. So other thing I was going to say is um, I have an apology to make as well. I just realized that we needed a new set of notes. I didn't realize that we had I had not translated the Wajibad section. The truth is, and this is the time now you get your violins out, okay? Huge, big, mega violins like that. Yep. Or Arfana, I know, is doing this. She's playing the world's smallest violin ever. But Ghassan, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him Jannatul Firdaus, Allahumma Ameen. And may Allah forgive Al Abdul Faqir Abu Isa as well. Ameen. We've been working very, very hard uh, on the last uh, few days to try and prepare a will template. Okay? And um, Alhamdulillah, tomorrow we'll go live, inshallah. A full guide. Uh, the will template itself as well so you know all, everyone here can then fill it up and then those who are not in the UK can get a solicitor to copy it to you know not charge you full money because you're just going to amend it and um, you know it's a free template that covers you in case something happens you should do something for your parents as well and uh, this has been on my radar to do for the last actually without exaggeration for like 10 years and um you know about seven years ago we released one in general but i didn't i we only it was only the template itself 
not the surrounding material around it. So the video has been recorded. So the, yeah, the first ethical one is still one that works, by the way. I spoke to uh, Bashir. You remember that I did the one uh, first time round with um, Bashir and Mufti Zubair, myself, and we, we signed it off as Al-Qalam. Yeah, the Sharia panel of Al-Qalam. And, um, but then obviously it was done in 2014 and the laws are from 2014 as well. Um, and so people have been using it, but you know, they, they kind of been using it in a way which is not so relevant at the moment or, or, or for the last few years. Um, anyway, the good thing is that they've actually updated it. Okay. It's more comprehensive and up to date from first ethical. It's more detailed than the first ethical one. Um, um, and it's also got more options for, um, it's more Islamic basically. What, what do I mean by that? I mean, it's more Sunnah, more advent, adventurous, less reason to go and buy a paid one. You gotta understand what happens, yeah? You know, a lot of these uh, uh, companies, you see you've got me started now, haven't you? Now you know what's gonna happen right now, isn't it? The knee's gonna come up, isn't it? Flipping heck. And you know when the knee comes up, it's all over, isn't it? Cello, it's your fault. So the knee's up now, so it's, 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 it's just, yeah, they might as well give up now. So what happens is that the, well, most of the time when you see a free template, there's always something behind it. So uh, we've done it on the uh, the Hajj site because actually nobody else other than Hajj folks ask about it because they're the only ones who are switched in. So it makes sense for it to be there and, um, you know, job done. Selma, so make sure that you save these questions for when we're asking, answering questions, yeah? Um, I don't mind answering questions on the will. No problem at all. It'll be something which is important for us right now. But um, let me just explain the first, the, 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 the basic points. So um, what basically, yeah. Now, uh, so for us, I, for me, it was important to make anyway. That's why, you know, I appreciate Jiva. May Allah subhanahu wa bless her. She's been obviously in the background with her notes and always, you know, uh, I don't think Apps is here on the on the call, but if she is, then you know she's another one who's really been on my case to get this sorted. So they get a lot of the rewards, you know. Always encouraging, always making sure, always saying this needs done, this needs done. So uh, Jiva had her notes, which was I was using, and Apps has been on my case. I need to sort out the issue of the bequest. So what I mean by that is that there are different people out there that have got different interests. It's not just about having an app. Um, uh, sorry, it's not just about having a will, but a will that works for them because they might have non-Muslim family members. They might have complicated issues. And how do you deal with that? How do you you know, try to accommodate for everyone? And the problem is, is that when you go into trying to fix or do something like this, okay, you got to go full in. You can't go in part time. Like I can't be teaching and I can't be teaching check this house and te teach, teaching LP and running things at home with the family and then going in and create, creating a, uh, uh, you know, everything around an Islamic will. I need to be full, fiqh of death, Islamic will, janazah. Yeah, I need nothing else for, for like a lockdown. This was the perfect time for it to happen uh, because, uh, and i tell you why, because the details are very, very technical. It's a legal document, right? There's prosecution, there's people's money at risk, whatever. It's not just the idea the fatwa of getting something wrong in the deen of Allah, which is serious enough as it is, but you're talking about people's wealth, people, people's lives. So you need to go full in. So for the last five, six days, it's just been all nighters, all days, all whatever, pick up a couple of hours sleep here and there. Ghassan didn't go sleep all night last two nights. Umar, the designer, whatever, and uh, the legal team, etc., etc. So... Um, alhamdulillah, it's been a massive effort. Hopefully tomorrow, maybe maybe Friday, it will all be out, okay? Um, 
like just to give you an example today all day today was just getting the legal mistakes weeded out of the one that's taken us the last couple of days to get done but anyway what's the difference someone said about the thing the difference of I, I recorded a video with this going through every single part of it so a person knows how to fill it in so that's the that's the trump thing but what's the actual difference in the document i want you to understand the mentality uh, this doesn't apply to first ethical because they didn't have an extra interest. Like the, likewise, the Hajj uh, uh, thing you'll be hosting on the Hajj with the site, it doesn't have a, a, an interest. But the most time, most of the times, when you get a free will template, it's in order to get something else. So when a, uh, a Muslim solicitors or a company offers a free template, it's because they want you to. If you are a basic kind of person, then this should be fine. Otherwise, any kind of complication then come and get the paid version, a couple of hundred quid. That's their business model, and uh, which is fine. I mean, you're getting a service, and you know you get what you get what you pay for. So I'm, you know, I have no problem with that. But still, you know, I'm a pack at heart. If you can have something for free, you have it for free in it. So um, uh, the other main places you find a lot of free wills is charities. So charities will often invest time and money and whatever to prepare these will templates, put them on their sites. The reason for that is because they get a significant portion of their yearly income from the bequest that's left behind from people who have signed a will on their site, which specifies them as the person who gets 10, 20, 30% of their estate, which is a couple hundred grand for some people, 50 grand, 10 grand for some people. It's a lot of money, 10%, 15%. If you spent your whole life saving, you've got a house and everything. I want you to imagine that. So anyway, when we get to the fiqh of Janazi, you'll hear me, you know, uh, uh, discuss this, that you shouldn't be putting down 33% on big monies and all the rest of it. You've got to be very careful. So like I said, there's always an interest to lead on to something. So I wanted to create a, uh, uh, a free uh, uh, will that most people can use, except the, genuinely those people who are definitely going to have to pay for. By the way, am I live? Why am I... Yeah, okay. Danielle, I'm glad you just asked that because five minutes, not a single person said anything. Don't scare me like that. Guys, I've got no one around me here whatsoever. I need at least a smile or a chocolate or something like that yeah, every few seconds, okay? I need to know that life is still continuing, yeah? Because I thought the thingy was right. Yeah, I, I saw the screen uh, thingy. So uh, anyway, so I was just saying, uh, basically, my message was that everybody wants to get onto the paid service, yeah? So... Um, uh, uh, so they give a free, you know, so whatever you, where, yeah, the dog is gone, by the way. Dog is, dog is gone. Anyway, so in summary, I was saying that the, the, uh, 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 that's right, always. Sick, heavy ones. By the way, I wanted to go there. Do you know what that is? This is called gold dust. All right. This is 2018. 2018 chocolate flake. Even if this was 2015, I'd be eating it, okay? Like I said, two things never go out of date. Chocolate and medicine. Anyway, listen, don't, uh, don't, 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 don't quote me on that. Listen, uh, Hassan, what are you doing here, Hassan? What are you, just tell me what are you doing here, Hassan? Okay, Hassan, Muskeen, he needs a break, man. Let him off. Right. So, uh, uh, medicinal morphine, I kept morphine for like 10 years as well after circumcision of next one. Right, okay, so uh, I need to focus on 
thingy. Here's my tuck shop. Um, you see, I, you know what it is? I'm like a child. I get so destructed so, so easily. People must be listening to this podcast going nuts. Can you imagine being a per person listening to this, not seeing any of it, thinking, where the hell is the lesson? 20 minutes in and no lesson. No, not 20 minutes. Shaz, I don't know what's happened, but it stopped recording. Seven minutes, it says Shaz, okay? I don't care, whatever. Shazad, I mean, that coming from you and using the word chaotic as opposed to insane and mental is 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 nothing short of an honor. That's nothing short of one. By the way, everyone on the podcast, okay, everyone on the podcast, you are thinking that, you know, you missed anything, you've missed nothing because we, Shazad has stitched it together. And it's absolutely fine. Oh, you know, by the way, Marina, oh my God, she must be having kittens right now. She must be thinking what the actual fish is going on. I came for a lesson and I've had enough of this nightmare. I have to say that that scares me, Marina's face right now. She must be like thunder, thunder. She must be going mental, okay? So uh, anyway, the Dr. Shazad Amin is sitting there saying, this is like the most chaotic lesson ever. You know, if you think that that's just a random message, he chose the word chaotic. He did not use the word stupid, uh, insane, crazy, because a mental, uh, there, no, he didn't use mental, he didn't use whatever, because psychologists, they're very careful with their language like that. Okay, that's right. This is us, we're free now. We are, we're alive, we're free, we are not. Uh, yeah, I have another lie. It's hard work when I'm by myself. I just want to say, uh, uh, you know, everyone around me, they, you know, anyway, always ADHD. I don't know what that, know what that means. Okay. There's no such thing as any attention, uh, thing magic. All right. Deficiency going on. What I was saying, right. Is that the free will. Yeah. Thank you, Salma. All right. Now, uh, uh, uh if you have certain complications, then they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to pass you on to the paid one, which is good. But what if I say to you that if you worked another two hour, two days changing the language, you could avoid that. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I try to make the free will do. So I've tried to make the free will more encompassing to avoid people having to get the paid one. And how have I done that? I've added a section which you don't find anywhere on any free will. So I'm super proud. It's been a mashallah. Say mashallah. Okay. And what that does, Junaid Kampuala, give salam to Misbah, that. Um, is that it allows individuals to receive portions from your um, bequest, not just charities. And you can name those people, name them. So that's that's you know I'm super happy, super proud, super happy. Uh, and I think I think you're gonna I think you're gonna enjoy it. I think you're gonna enjoy it. And the Rasul, mashallah, has taken all the reward. And uh, Jiva and Abs and uh, all the people who you know I know they're behind the scenes. So anyway, I, I started this off by wanting to say apologies that I have not been able to write the uh, 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 the thingy. She said, "I'm not on a network. I'm, I'm on an Ethernet. What are you talking about? This is not Wi-Fi. So if it's buffering, then that's a madness. Why are we buffering? Is this the buffering, folks?" She said, "Is trying to uh, uh, suggest that Ross is." Definitely buffering. Shaz, I don't know what to tell you, mate. Should I do a speed speed test? Speed test. Okay. Because Shazad has brought my internet into thingy. 
300 and say mashallah everybody 365 megabytes download which is that salim 368 369 370 upload 35 34.6 35 okay that's a huge amount of data use by the way whilst i'm doing it so leave me alone shazad man okay shazad is just 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 a complete fake just yeah, is fake news here, guys. What the fish happened with Trump? Oh my god, Gassam, that guy, he's lost the plot. Lost the plot, anyway. I don't know what the, the, the buffering is. We need to do the lesson because Marina's literally, honestly, she's literally gonna, she, she, she's gonna report us to someone. I don't know how or who, but she's gonna report us. And Dr. Shazad, I mean, he's sitting there shaking his head, you know, wise old sage, thinking this is not acceptable. I miss Dr. Shazad, I mean, to be honest. Okay, big C. We don't talk about the big C. We don't even know what, I don't know what the C word is. I don't know what the C word is. Okay, I don't even know what the C word is. We're not going to mention the big C. Miami Crisp, is that open? Chicken burgers, are they open? Danielle, have you been? All right, let's start. Um, we finished off the Arkan last week, okay? Um, I can't remember what I ended with, Bismillah, with respect to uh, the Taslim, but I just want to make sure that I believe that only the first one is the Rukh and the second one is a Sunnah, and uh, nothing more uh, than that. <laughs> oh, sugar. <laughs> Jodri has joined. Those guys, you see Muhammad Madir, first lesson after some time. This is a legend. He's known in the game as Jodri, okay? He's, he's Somali. He's a different type of Somali. He's Brawe. But we call him Jodri. Ras, Miami Christmas is open, yeah? Sugar. All right, right, guys, no more of the subject things, okay? Because I swear to you, I could chat for the last hour. And you know why me and uh, Hassan are here? Because work and dean and study has taken us up to here. And this is our break. It's, this is the problem. We've come here now for the break, okay? So that's why we're, you, you've got to understand. It's just nonstop, nonstop, no break. No halime or sajjun hatu. Okay, we're here. Page 315 of the text, Iram, of Ashraf al-Mumtir. Wajibatuha. Okay? Wajibatuha, its obligations, the obligations of the prayer. So we have done the arkan, now we're onto the obligations. And uh, Sheikh starts off with a question and he goes, hey, does that basically mean uh, you can't view it on the study material, Ilyas, because it's not there. Um, uh, 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 th this text I'm going to translate on the fly right now because we um, are, you know, uh, behind. Uh, I'll get it translated uh, maybe at the end of this week. Once I launch this uh, stuff, I get some time. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll record the um, I I'll write the new notes. So it's obligations. The prayers obligations. We've already covered the arkan. Arkan plural singular rokan. Wajibat, plural, wajib, single. Obligations, compulsory matters. Um, and Sheikh says, hold on, wajib is the word obligatory, yeah? So does that mean that the arkan are not obligatory? This is why we start off. He goes, no, that's not the case. He goes, actually, uh, the arkan, as I mentioned last week, are even more obligatory than the obligations. It's a phrase that needed to be created to indicate something more obligatory than obligations. Uh, and the reason that they, they differ is that if you forget or make a mistake with a rukan, the prayer um, is invalidated. 
as a consequence. Even though, as we were discussing last week, that it might just be that raka'ah that's invalidated, but the prayer is invalidated without the raka'ahs, isn't it? Yeah. So my point is, is that if you miss a rukan or you mess up a rukan or you forget a rukan, you have to come with that rukan. You have to fix the rukan. Um, whereas with a wajib, an obligation in the prayer, if you forget an obligation, the prayer can continue without that obligation. But then you need to compensate for it with a, uh, a prostration at the end. So that's how they are uh, different. So when you have the manasa, uh, so whoever or uh, okay, whoever has forgotten a rukan, the prayer is invalidated unless they do that rukan. But whoever is, you know, remembers the whoever forgets the wajib, it is sufficient for them to just make a prostration for forgetfulness. For uh, if he forgets it, yani because he's not aware of it, then there's no issue. So this is something which is interesting. Sheikh Uthameen's position. Yeah, no, I don't think so, Salaj. I don't think mandatory versus obligatory works. I think you have to keep it to. Um, I think you have to keep it to uh, um, uh, 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 pillars, essentials versus obligatory. Because all of these words, mandatory, blah blah blah, they're all synonyms of obligation. Okay, and there is no, there's no, there is no stronger word than obligation. That's why we've left the whole kind of legal language of obligation and moved to a phrase that has no meaning in. In, in in legal language, uh, pillar and essentials. And uh, these are these, these, that, there's not a legal reality, which is why we give them a definition, we explain what it means, and that's how it works. Now, what Sheikh Uthay means says something which is interesting, which is of course mentioned in the Madahib as well, which is that what if a person doesn't forget, but he just doesn't know? Okay, right? What if he doesn't know about it? So he stands up from the, so he's done his first two raka'ah. And he should be sitting down now for the tashahud. But he doesn't know and he stands up to the third raka'ah. Okay? Because he doesn't know that it is obligatory for him to sit down for tashahud, uh, the first tashahud. He doesn't know. Then, according to Sheikh Uthameen, this prayer is, authentic, is is valid. His prayer is valid because he didn't know and you don't get hold for, uh, held accountable uh, uh, for that which you don't know. And secondly... He doesn't even have to do sajda to seven. He doesn't need to do the prostration of forgetfulness. Of course, this is a chapter which is going to come afterwards. Um, uh, and why? This is because he did not leave this intentionally and he didn't forget it. He didn't fall into both of these two scenarios. If he forgets it, then remembers it. That's when you have to fix it. If you left it intentionally, then that's a disaster, of course. And there's a there's a whole sin on that. And, and you know, prayers invalidated and... Yeah, and then there's a discussion amongst the scholars. Can you fix it by, you know, by doing the sajdah And, you know, what's the state? That's mad, that's, that's mad if you're in, you know, I have to do this act, but I'm intentionally not going to do it. I mean, that's just, it's, you, you know, it's the, like the discussion of the salah with respect to um, are you a kafir or not? Okay. A lot of people kind of spend a lot of time trying to work out is are you a kafir or not kafir if you, if thingy, if you miss the prayer. You would need to step back and say, which person out there, believer, Believe in Allah says, I'm not going to pray. Like intentionally says, no, I'm not going to pray. I know I need to pray, but I'm not going to pray. Like, you know, every person that you see that doesn't pray is very regretful about the fact that they don't pray. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, the point is, is that Sheikh says uh, he didn't leave it. He didn't do it intentionally. Uh, and so he is, he doesn't need to make sense of himself. Sheikh says, yeah, but there are also some scholars as well that said that, yes, you do need to, um, 
make that uh, wajib uh, up uh, by doing the sajda sahu because uh, the ignorance here is an analogous to forgetfulness. So because you forget it, okay, um, because uh, uh, you forgot it, um, what happens if we forget something? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not punish you for it. However, if you forget something in the prayer, this is a really good argument, by the way, right? Which is why, in my opinion, the class position is that even if you didn't know the act, even if you didn't know it was obligatory, you should do such tasahu if you miss it, okay? Not just because if you forget it, but ignorance as well. Listen to this uh, thinking, because we know that if you forget something, Allah does not punish you if you forget something. However, in forgetting that act, we know you're obligated to do the sajda sahu. And yet we know in the sharia that Allah does not hold a person accountable for something that they don't know and they forget. So therefore the scholars said that we should also then do sajda sahu for something that's left out yani, because you didn't know. Good argument. I like it. Okay. And that's why the vast majority of scholars will not differentiate. But Shaykh Uthman just being technical and being accurate. All right. So the, the these are the obligatory actions. So what's the first one then? Okay. So... Uh, let's ask some, let's ask answer some questions. Um, yeah, no, no. A per, if, no, what, what if a person tells you how this? Okay, so if, you're right. If the person doesn't know anything, they don't know anything. But then afterwards, they find out. Or what if someone tells you in the prayer? That that, that that's yeah, the only the point. If you don't know something whatsoever, okay. What, what if a person tells you afterwards? Like you immediately finish the prayer, and someone says to you, "Hey, you didn't do it." Now, if you didn't do it, you don't stand up. So, for let me give you an example. If you're sitting there and someone says to you. Um, the person standing next to you uh, has finished before you and just waiting for you to finish. He saw that you you didn't do the tashahud the first one. He goes, hey, bro, you didn't do tashahud the first one. You say, oh, really? Because you know that you got to do it. So you trust him. And what are you going to do? At this moment in time, what are you going to do? This is something that you knew was obligatory, but you forgot. You're going to do sajda sahu there and then, and that's it. You don't need to stand up, repeat the prayer. You don't need to do anything else. So likewise, what we're trying to say is that if someone told you and you didn't know, then uh, the argument is, is that you should do such sahu as well. Sheikh Uthameen's argument, which is, again, solid and sound, and that's why it's a valid difference of opinion, is that if you didn't know something, you don't get held accountable to it. And even if he tells me, you know, go and do that, I don't need to do it. Now, obviously, that's a risky position. That's the point. Okay, Abdul Mahit Ali says, if, if, if the rukun is missed without one knowing what is the ruling, then no sajda. Uh, later after the prayer. Oh, yeah, that's basically what I just mentioned uh, for that. Uh, but the, the question about Sajda Sahu is something, these are all details that we're going to be dealing with in the chapter of Sajda Sahu. I don't want to go into detail of the Sajda Sahu before it's time. Uh, is it true that you cannot sit back down once you've stood up? Yes, Adil, that's correct. And we, I think, went through that. But if we didn't, we're going to come to that. When I say went through that, I mean in the section when we covered all of this but anyway simply to answer your question if you are leading salah and you do forget to do the tashahud in a second rakah and you have stood up you do not repeat that rakah and you do not sit back down okay adi you carry on with the prayer ignoring it entirely it's gone and then at the end of the prayer you will then do the sajd as you will see when we cover the fiqh it will be before the taslim okay folks right so that's enough for that so the first then of the obligations okay التكبير غير التحريمة التكبير غير التحريمة والتسميع والتحميد وتسبيحتا وتسبيحتا الرقوع السجود I think that's enough for today So that translates as the saying of Allahu Akbar other than the opening takbir These are the obligations 
the tasmi' which is sami'allahu liman hamida the tahmid which is rabbana walakal hamd wa tasbihata ar-ruku' wa-sujood the tasbih that you say in the bowing position and in the prostration position all right so these are the beginning of the first few obligations of the prayer now a takbir ghayra tahrima we know last week or week before a tahrima is your opening takbir is a rukun of the prayer absolutely essential no prayer without it you haven't entered into the prayer if you didn't do it that's the only uh, uh, straightforward yani uh, 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 position um so therefore we're talking about the takbir to go for ruku'a we're talking about the takbir to go to sujood we're talking about the takbir to stand back up to start fatiha again in the second raka'a we're talking about the takbir after the tashahhud al-awwal to stand up for the third raka'a in a necessary uh, prayer these takbirat which is the plural of takbir um are called the takbirat of the prayer ghayr tahrima which is a very you know bland name the takbirs which are not the opening takbir or they're called the takbirat al-intiqal or takbirat al-intiqal which is the moving takbir that's like a kind of a descriptive phrase the moving takbirs yeah so that's something which maybe uh, you just need to be aware of anyway these takbirat are all wajiba okay and if you were to forget any one of these that you were uh, uh, praying then you don't need to go back and 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 do it you just need to do sajda sal a classic example would be you're at home by yourself praying salat al-dhuhr you're in the first raka'ah and you've finished the surah fatiha finished the surah and you go for ruku' and just complete absent mindedness forgot to say allahu akbar as you're going to ruku' when you go sallallahu liman hamida you realize when you're doing sallallahu liman hamida you thought I just went into the court without saying Allah, but that often happens, right? You, it's when you're doing the reverse part of the action that you think, hold on, how did I even get there without saying Allah? You kind of realize at that moment is the classic example. You just put it to the back of your mind and say, right, I missed the obligation. No problem. And I carry on through this entire prayer. And then at the end, I'm going to do such a sound. Again, that's going to come in another section. That is only possible because this takbir is wajib. Okay. It is wajib. It is an obligation, not a rukan. Because if it was a rukan, now just imagine that this going to Ruqa was a Rukan and now you stood up and you realized, oh, you know what? I forgot to do the takbir of the Ruqa, which is a Rukan. Then you would, in your standing position, you would have to go back to it. So you'd now actually go back into Ruqa and say, Allahu Akbar. You got know what I'm saying? So that's what you'd have to do if it was a Rukan, right? That's what you'd have to do, for example, if you had got to this position and then got stood back up and you know, as you're standing back up, you thought, oh my God. I didn't recite Surah Fatiha. I actually just read uh, the Surah. I forgot Surah Fatiha. So standing here right now, you will say, and you will do that and the Surah again, then you go into Ruku again. Right? You understand now? That's the difference between a Rukun and a Wajib. And after you've now made that up, you will then, uh, uh, at the end of the prayer, also do a Sajjah so that's something which is in- interesting that in, when you miss a rukan, not only do you have to go back to it, but you have to do a sajjah In wajib, all right, you don't ever go back to the act that you've missed, but you have to do a sajjah That's a simple kind of definition for what it is. So, uh, Sheikh says that, um, okay, before I uh, go that, uh, into that section, let's answer a few questions. Could you explain if you two missed two raka'ah, uh, 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 Ambreen? Questions only on the text itself, please. Okay, any questions which are outside of the text that we're doing, then that come to the end, please. Yeah. Um, Harris, is it best to say 
two takbirs or risk it and not say one at all. The classic example being when getting up for the third raka'ah when the gap is a bit bigger. Now this is bid'ah. This is a this is a horrible thing to think of and even worse to do, Haris, yeah? To say, oh, you know, I'm not sure, so I'm going to make up for it and do a second one. Now, there's a big difference between us being cautious and always taking the safest position. And, you know, like I said last week, that you shouldn't assume that Asalaamu Alaikum is enough, but say Asalaamu Alaikum wa rahmatullah and imagine it's the Rukun, even though technically, just to say Asalaamu Alaikum. Yeah, in a Hanafi school, by the way, folks, yeah, and last week we were speaking about Taslim. In a Hanafi school, you don't even need to do Taslim and you're out. Just that you've, you've made the intention that you've finished, yeah, is enough to exit the prayer. Now, you will never see a Hanfi in your life ever do that. Like, yeah, here's the, here's the, this is the funny thing, right? That the Hanafi school is the only school that actually says to you that legally you, your prayer is valid if you just said, finish your dua and you just stood up and left the prayer and went off. Your prayer is finished when you think it's finished, when you've intended it's finished and when you believe it's finished, it's finished. Yeah, it's like the end of the you've intention. It's the concept of intention. Remember when we spoke about intention? The second you believe that the prayer is cancelled at any moment in the prayer, then you you have the prayer is over because what you've done is you've interrupted one of the conditions of the prayer, which is the intention. Once you interrupt an intention, once you interrupt a, a precondition of the prayer, like wudu, which is a precondition of the prayer that has to remain all the way through, or if you've got uh, you know, some kind of uh, najasa on your body or whatever, you know, preconditions. You have to keep your body clean. You have to keep your wudu in. You've got to keep yani, your niya in. For any moment, you break your wudu or say that I'm leaving the prayer, then it's it's over. So the Hanafis, they say that once you've intended the prayer is finished and you've completed it, then it's actually technically speaking, right? It's it's not an absolute must that you say, Assalamu Now, here's the practical. That, that's the legal point. But as you know, the masses do not get involved in illegalities. If you find some Hanafi or Pak or whatever, whatnot, and you say to them that, you know, but you don't need to do to sleep, you have a heart attack. He'll say, you kafir. And he'll kafir you lot. So, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, what we do in practice is very different from what the theory is. And that's right. Yeah, and he, from one angle is good, another angle is bad. It means you don't learn much academics and fiqh about your religion, but at the same time, your teacher is going to tell you not just the, 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 the legalities, but then tell you the obligations and then tell you the sunnah and tell you all the details and they're going to make them all the same. So for at the practical level, you are going to believe every action is absolutely obligatory. Like wearing a hat, absolutely obligatory. To recite sunnah, to recite surah, absolutely obligatory. You know, they don't realize that there's ups and downs, ups and downs. To recite yani, the tasbihad three times, absolutely obligatory, as opposed to one, as opposed to no surah, as opposed to, you know, so... Um, so in the Hanafi school, you will never see a person not say Salaam alaikum rahmatullah, Salaam alaikum rahmatullah. All the time you will. But um, uh, technically you don't. So anyway, I just want to say that on the safe side, um, uh, I think that it's important to be saying Salaam alaikum rahmatullah, but that's the safe side in terms of difference of opinion. Safe side where you start to have waswas and doubt yourself is the worst of conditions, the worst of problems and trouble. Okay, I hope that, that makes sense. So, no, you wouldn't say two takbirs in a long gap to make sure that did I say it at the beginning or not. That's a disaster. Ghassan, uh, what if you forget at the end to make sajda to sahu and then remember it again after a long time after you finish the prayer, like an hour later maybe? And that was asked earlier on as well. And this, these details are going to come in the section of sajda sahu because there's a lot. And I don't want to just say a little bit now when, you know, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Let's leave it to the proper time. But in principle, you've only got a small period of time. If you come late, so late, then the prayer is broken. You have to start doing the prayer again. You missed out the chance to compensate the prayer. Okay, 
Is there a reward for the portion that was cancelled out? I.e., you recited a quarter of the juzah and the rakah got cancelled. There's no doubt that a person is rewarded for the effort that they do, Solange. This is one of the reasons why, it's a good question, this is one of the reasons why we don't stay silent in the prayer. Uh, so what do I mean by that? You know, some of the Hanafi scholars, and more than the Hanafi scholars, actually, a lot of scholars, you know, uh, correctly, they've argued that the prayer is a tawqifi act of worship. Yeah, it's an act where you don't, you know, make your own stuff up. You just stick to what it is, and that's it. You don't say extra stuff. You don't do extra stuff. That's it. And uh, if the imam, so you're sitting in the prayer, okay, um, a dhuhr prayer, okay, and when you're sitting in the dhuhr prayer, let's say, that you are behind the imam in the second uh, rakah in the tashahud you're sitting there waiting and you've you know you're sitting there and you've said you've reached the end of the rasulah and now you're waiting for the imam to say allahu akbar so that you can stand up but the imam isn't why is he why isn't he he maybe he's forgotten and he's carrying on with the prayer you don't know maybe he's making extra dua extra long tashahud maybe he's yeah, he's forgotten that he's the imam and he's yeah he's paused than that bare amount of times yeah so now you are sitting there you got two options you're either going to sit there and wait and just psst, and that's the position of the hanafi school and then you've got others yani, and the school spoke about it a bit but you know my personal position position some of my teachers as well is that you carry on and say allahumma salli ala muhammad wa ala ali muhammad kama sallaita ala ibrahim now the hanafis and other scholars will say you can't do that because once you've gone into that you've gone into another rukan which is a new part of the prayer which is a strong argument from a legal point of view What's our argument? Our argument is, is that it can never be considered better for a person to sit doing nothing in the prayer versus making zikr. And I'm sitting there now waiting. It's like similar, for example, if I'm standing in the first rakah, okay, and I'm waiting uh, with the imam for him to go to ruku'ah. So I recited a surah and I finished. And my guy's obviously reciting some long knockout surah. And, I, you know, you might stand there just silently. That'd be madness if you try to justify that. You know what I mean? You'd definitely start another surah and another surah, you know, because to, to stay busy is going to be better, more rewarded in our belief than for you not to be, to be just quiet. So, Solange, I believe anything that you do of any effort, of any dhikr, any time, inside prayer, outside the prayer, never wasted. Impossible. For in Allah, la or ajal muhsinin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not ever let go to waste the ajar of the people of Ihsan. Ayaz says, if a person is leading Maghrib, uh, listen, guys, we know we've, we've lost the plot here. We're going to the question. We're now in the... What's happened is that whilst I'm trying to explain the legal status of these acts, which is that they're wajib, and people realize that the only way you can define wajib in light of sunnah and rukan is to talk about the sajda sahu. Okay? Because the word obligation is not enough. And because I've opened the word sajda sahu, everybody's throwing in all of the sajda issues, mistake issues, what happens when we do it. So you just got to all stop, okay? Only questions on the actual uh, uh, the subject itself. Why do I say that? Not because I'm running away from your questions. These are the piece of cake questions I could sit here and take my chocolate bars out and enjoy myself with. But the reason is, is because uh, we have a full massive section about mistakes. Does that make sense, guys? Can I have some support there from my Saatis, please? Can I have some of my Saatis support here? Mesa, where the fish are you, man? What happens? Yeah, and it makes, uh, that's the problem. Mesa, yeah, she acts all the big and then the general when she's running the thing. But when she's is not running the show, she goes and runs off into a hole. That's the problem. She's now going to come up with an excuse and say this, that, whatever. So, yeah. So now someone explained to us, Solange uh, is saying about Sati. Right. So, 
Um, Sheikh Uthameen says at the back of 316 that um, the takbir, every takbir is a wajib takbir, okay, other than the uh, opening one, which is a rukun, except for three exemptions. Come on, guys, don't look at the notes and tell me which of the look at this guy look at this guy was you on beats there's not a chance now you see naim yeah naim yeah and he came with some game last week names clearly humbly mashallah he knows and i'm gonna say he hasn't looked at the notes okay and he doesn't look at the notes because this is his score always i know looked at the notes but anyway that's what's for with the notes and therefore of course you're gonna look at them they used to say to us yani what the notes for What's wrong with looking? <laughs> what do you think we're giving you notes for? They're meant to be looked at. That's fine. So that's correct. Okay, guys, if you want some English text, you can just take it from these folks. Okay, um, that there are other takbirs that are an exemption. So the first exemption are the takbirat al-zawa'id fi salat al-eid. So those uh, uh, takbir of of uh, salat al-eid and al-istisqa, then this is sunnah. So istisqa is this is the is the the rain prayer. Guys, can I just ask? Can I? Can I? Can I? <laughs> Yeah, but why are you causing trouble for, man? Samla Khatun. Gotcha. Gotcha, Baji. So, listen, the um, uh, I, I just want to say something, which I, I've got to get off my chest. Take 30 seconds. I was I was uh, reading up, for whatever reason, about Salat al-Istisqa the other day. Okay? Um, I was just reading a book, and it just mentioned... Now, Salat al-Istisqa is, 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 is the rain prayer, yeah? And a lot of people don't pray uh, because they don't get the opportunity to, to do it. And it's quite, you know, it's, it's quite unique. And I just want you to know that from when the Prophet Sallallahu would go out when there would be a drought, okay? I swear to you, if you read the uh, Hadith al-Sahihah, and I mean the authentic ones, that discuss the Istisqa that happened at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu okay? Um, what I, basically, what I want to say to you is that I think all of us need to read the chapter of Istisqa and maybe even look for some videos of it happening in the Muslim lands, not like California and things like that, okay? But I mean in Muslim lands, to see what it's like when it's done. Hopefully they're doing it properly. I've never seen it on video or whatever, whatnot. But when you read the hadith, it is something which gives you shivers. Yeah? The whole process. The prayer itself is a very simple, basic prayer. But everything before it, during it, and after it is a madness. Okay? The way that the people are gutted and broken and crying and miserable and the, clo the clothing is not only simple, but the clothing is turned all inside out, upside down. So people look like as if they've come through, you know, uh, uh, because obviously you don't cover it, it's discard. Uh, so you might not have seen the hadith about, you know, you're taking clothes and turning them around, etc. But you all know the hadith of the man where the Prophet was describing a man who would come on the day of Arafah. Uh, He's yani, disheveled and dusty and all in a mess and he lifts his hands and does Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. And the emphasis is all on how broken he is and how important that is to make dua and to be responded to by Allah. That is what you feel when you read all of that hadith and you put them together and you create this disorder in your mind of what used to happen when there used to be a drought. And 
the way that the people will be broken, they turn to Allah and they'll beg him and cry and the istisqa is more of a dua than anything else. And then afterwards, then the people will give the charity and there will be such a solemnness and somberness. And I swear by Allah that the world has been afflicted by the drought of all droughts in this virus crisis. And the amount of, of problem that is caused, the amount of fear that is caused, the amount of death that it has caused, the way that families have shook up and shook up, the way that people's yani, security has been shook up, has had such a devastating impact that with no drought that we've seen has had that yani, psychological, economic, financial, mental yani, impact. And I don't think, and so just look at the numbers, imagine that this cat catastrophe is 1,000 times that of a drought. And I would say that our solemnness and our brokenness and our appearance and sincerity and repentance in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one thousandth of that to a basic drought. I hope you understand what I've said. I hope you've understood what I've said. Basic drought in an area couple of months of no rain, crops are suffering. People will be gutted, broken, crying, go out there and they would seek istighfar, make istighfar, give sadaqah and whatever. And this is one million times, not even a thousand times more serious than that crops there. The crops have been destroyed. Wallah destroyed. Food being wasted. No one to be able to go and farm the, the thing. The weather's taken everything, blah, blah. And it just... It's impacted us on so many different levels. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It blows my mind. The numbers, the figures that are involved, the impact upon GDP, the impact upon people's yani, psychology, and so on and so forth. So we have a, a, a calamity which is 10,000 times, 1 million times more serious than a drought. You would have thought, therefore, the level that will be broken, the way that we turn to Allah, the amount of sadaqah that will be giving, the amount of istighfar would be 10 million times increased. In actual fact, not only did it not stay the same, it's actually decreased. And I just remind it to myself because obviously, you know, I take things a lot merry, merry and joke and whatever. And I think that's very important that you, that you yourself don't, and you, you know, try to fake yourself. But the rest of the time, you should have yeah, an improvement, you know, a proper response, a proper response. I just want to, you know, this has been heavy on my heart since last week, actually. Um, anyway, I just had to get off my chest. Now, listen, so what did we say? That we've got these... Um, uh, uh, takbirs that are exempt from this categorization that they're all uh, obligatory. Uh, the takbirs of Eid, the takbir of Salatul Istisqa, that this and so on and so forth, these are not yani, included. Okay? These are all Sunnah, these takbirat. The takbirat of Salatul Janazah is also not included, but the other way around. Not because they're not obligatory, not because they're Sunnah, but because they're a Rukam. So they're actually an essential aspect of the of the thing. So they they, they take the same ruling as the takbiratul ihram, the tahrima, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then this is an interesting one, which the scholars differed over. The third one, and he says here that this is the takbir, uh, uh, the takbira of the ruku'ah for the one who comes late to the prayer and the imam is in ruku'ah. Now you will know that my top position, I've spoken about this before, is that a person, if you come to the masjid and the imam is in ruku'ah. Okay, and you arrive late, then you need to stand in line and say Allahu Akbar to establish the tahrima, and then say Allahu Akbar as you go into ruku', which is two takbirs. Okay, and this is the position of some of the scholars. Technically speaking, there are some scholars that have said actually because the imam is already in ruku', and they gave other arguments for this as well, but just yeah, 
Some said that because he's already in Rukuah, then yani, going to Rukuah, you're not actually going to it per se, but you're yani, you're joining what's already a position, so you don't need to actually, it's not obligatory or rukun, it's only a sunnah to do that second one that goes into this position. So if a person said Allahu Akbar and then went straight down without saying the takbir, the prayer is valid. And it's not a major issue. And others, Yani said, it is actually obligatory. But if you forget it, then the Imam covers it because the Imam covers the obligations which are missed behind, behind that Imam. So everybody, you know, it's the same. It's like, uh, and again, we'll come to this in the right part. When you're doing uh, Subhan Rabbi Al Azim, Subhan Rabbi Al Azim, in your uh, in your um, and you forgot to say anything. So you went into to report behind the Imam in Dhuhr prayer and you forgot to say anything. You don't do Sajjah Sahu by yourself. The Imam covers you. So uh, these little things you forget. So uh, ironically, if you forgot to, if you came to the prayer and you didn't make that uh, takbir to join the Rukur, yeah, you can either argue from a legal way that it's a sunnah anyway because you don't need to do it. You could argue, no, it's an obligation. It still is an obligation. But even if you don't do it, it doesn't matter because the Imam covers you. And then the other way of looking at it is that it doesn't matter what you did. The first takbir that you did is that, you know, whether you, you didn't do the first takbir, but you did it while you're moving, then they'll say, what was your intention? Was your intention to enter the prayer with it or not? Because that has to be there, the tahrima. So anyway, I hope that that makes sense. That basically, uh, 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 the, the, there's some exceptions. So let's just kind of sum this up. If you're looking at the different takbirs that you do, the arkan, those those which are very important, essential ones, arkan, are the individual prayer when you open it. That's the takbiratul ihram or takbiratul tahrima or the tahrima, and also the takbirat that you do in salatul janazah. That's the highest and most important takbirat you will ever pray. The second level are the obligatory takbirat, and those are the takbirat of the normal prayer when you go to ruku, when you go to sujood, when you go whatever. And then you have a third category of takbirat which are sunnah which are not obligatory, and that is the takbirah if you come late to a prayer uh, when the person's in ruku already, or the takbirat that you do in Salatul Istisqa, or the takbirat that you do in the Eid prayer itself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay, what's the evidence? Uh, sorry, let's ask, answer some questions. Uh, Zenith, you need to uh, remember what I said at the beginning, which is that we're going to do the questions later on uh Mistakes. Rehan, I believe that this is due to individuals not being directly affected in such a devastating way. Many in certain cities are comfortably exercising, going about shopping, etc. That's very true, Rehan. Okay, that is very true. We're not, uh, 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 you know, we're not involved in in a lot of the, the problematic areas. But, you know, I spoke to a doctor today. A doctor who is in the highest 1% of the, or 5% or whatever of earnings people. And uh, he said that I'm going to struggle quite a bit because he had to cancel all of his work. I mean, listen, you know what it is? Everybody has a certain standard of life and uh, you might be wealthy, but you need to earn a significant sum of money to maintain your standard of life. And if you now can't, then your bills don't get paid. You fall into debt. So it's, you know, I think that people are, are being affected, I think. But you're right. It's not so, you know, absolutely directly. Um, doesn't a person in debt okay that's fine and Zenith yeah these questions again mistake questions all of them as I said blah 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 you keep them for the section on mistakes which is coming in a couple of weeks or something like that okay um, the next thing that Sheikh Uthameen says what's the evidence that the uh, uh, these takbirat are obligatory what's the evidence 
The first evidence is that the Prophet said in the hadith, which is narrated in Bukhari, that if the Imam makes the takbir, then you also make the takbir. And when the Imam says, Say when the Imam says Sami Allah Ali Hamidah, then all of you then say Rabbana wa Alhamd. So this is yani a, uh, a a command and command indicates obligation. So that's the first evidence. The second evidence is that the Prophet continued with this act for all of his life. There's not a single prayer in which he ever prayed where he never did the takbirs in between the movement of the different prayers. And as he did that forever and ever, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith. Pray like you see me pray. And so therefore that obligates it as well. The third um, uh, evidence, which is not a direct evidence, but a kind of subtle, more subtle one, which is an interesting one. Sheikh said that this is actually one of the rites or one of the rituals which takes up the time period when you're moving from a pillar to a pillar or from an essential to an essential. So like the one of the essentials, for example, is to stand... And then the next essential is Fatiha, obviously, whatever. Then the next essential is Rukua. So when you go from this essential to this essential, we need something to happen in between. And this rite, this ritual, this yani, honorable period of time needs filling with something. And that yani, is uh, what is uh, the takbir, the, uh, and that's been given its status. Now, this third evidence, obviously, is not a strong evidence to indicate its legality, but it's an evidence to indicate its place and its position and its presence. All right. Next is what tasmi'u what tahmidu. Okay. So uh, this needs some detail, but we have covered this before last year. That tasmi'ah to say sami Allah hamida is obligatory upon two people. Okay. Who are the two people that is obligatory upon? Out of all the possible people who are could be praying, who are is who has to say sami Allah hamida. Everybody. And how many people have to say Rabbana wa alhamd? The word tahmid. Okay, good. So the first is imam. That's obvious. And well done, Samid, the individual. So that means the person who is praying behind the imam, does he have to say, Samiyallahu liman hamida? Ayaz is saying the follower. And the answer is no. Okay. So the follower is not the one. Okay. So let me make it clear. All right. The Imam is the one that must say Sami Allahu liman hamida. If you're praying behind the Imam, you do not repeat Sami Allahu liman hamida. So we have three categories of people Al Imam, Wal Munfarid, Wal Ma'moon. The mun Imam, the one who leads the prayer. Al Munfarid, the one who is praying alone. And Ma'moon, the one who is a follower, praying behind the Imam. So when it comes to the uh, saying of Sami Allahu liman hamida, it's only obligatory upon the Imam. And the one who's praying uh, alone. It's not Muqtadi Elias, you're talking about Muqtadi. Yeah, Muqtadi. But I like Muqtadi as well, that's nice. <laughs> and then something completely different. So, praying uh, uh, alone. So, the one who's praying alone and praying behind the, uh, and the, and the Imam himself. So Zaid loves that because South, South London, they love Muqtadis, isn't it? Because you're Muqtadi, bruv. Isn't it, bruv? South London, because I'm from Croydon. See, Zaid has been listening to this lesson for the last whole hour, and the only time my guy laughs is when he hears his fav famous favorite word. Yes, hey, bruv, he's a mubtadi, in it, bruv. Right, anyway. So um the one who as for Rabbana wa Kalhamd, it has to be said by the Imam, the one who's leading the prayer, the Munfarid, the one who's praying by himself, 
and the one who is following the prayer as well. Okay, the one who's following the the the, the imam, then he will say, "Rabbana alaykum." What is the obligation, by the way, folks? That um, uh, that this is what is the evidence? Sorry, that it is oblig obligatory. The first evidence is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu did this all of his entire life and never ever uh, left the action of saying hamida in any situation ever. Okay. Secondly, this is the right. Okay. This is the right or the ritual of the moving. Like I said a minute ago, that the takbir follows from rukan to rukan. hamida is the <coughs> is the two statements which fill the two rukans. This is the rukan bowing. This is the rukan standing up. So you've covered the anidis. This is the, like that, using the same logic from before. And of course, the, the main evidence, the legal evidence, if you like, is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, as we just mentioned before, Hadith Bukhari, إِذَا قَالَ سَمِيَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ فَقُولُوا رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدِ فَلَا هَذَا يَكُونَ تَحْمِيدِ ثَلَاثَ أَدِلَّةِ وَلِتَسْمِيَةِ دَلِيلًا فَقَدْ so the hadith the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that when Imam says Samiyallahu Alaihi Wasallam then say Rabbana Walakalham. So these are three evidences here. These three evidences make it clear that the Rabbana Walakalham has three evidences to indicate its obligation and to say Samiyallahu Alaihi Wasallam ha, uh, has uh, two, two evidences because in this evidence there's no um, uh, uh, because in the third evidence, it doesn't actually indicate that the Imam has to say, yeah, to say Rabbana wa alhamd. Now, if the follower says, Samiyallahu alayhi wa alhamdulillah, is it wrong or prohibited? Um, I have to say to you that there is difference of opinion on that even. There are some scholars that say that he should say it as well. But the evidence, as you can see, indicates that you shan't, don't, and that's our class position. But it's not haram and it's not wrong. Okay, it's not haram and it's not uh, wrong. If you come late and enter after the Imam has just said, Samiyallahu alayhi wa alhamdulillah, do you say Rabbana wa alhamd after the takbir or Samiyallahu liman hamd? If you come late and enter after the Imam has just said Samiyallahu liman hamdah. So if that's me, I'm saying Allahu Akbar, then putting my hands to my side and I'm saying Rabbana wa alhamd. That's what I'm saying. Okay, if I've answered your question, then that's what I'm uh, doing. All right. Um, now, uh, just to finish off on this part. Yeah. Let's finish off on this. Okay, it was quite a bit, but anyway, okay. Sheikh says, well, what he didn't uh, uh, ask, okay, Tahmeed, Rabbana wa alhamd, is only Junaid obligatory on the Munfarid and the What did I just read? Uh, 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 what, was, what did you just ask? Tahmeed is wajib upon all, all of them, all. Al-Imam, Ma'mum, and Munfarid. Rabbana wa alhamd. Okay? Yeah. Sorry, I, I'm getting mixed up. Yeah. Um, so what did I say before? Did I not say that before? Did I not say that before? Just make sure that I'm not losing my mind because I am kind of all over the place. All right, okay, anyway, let me just make it clear that Rabbana wa alhamd, which is called tahmid, is obligatory upon everyone, and Samiyallahu alayhi wa which is called tasmiyah, is only upon the imam and one praying and on. Okay, good. All right, now, 
Sheikh says that what the author didn't do is to actually tell us when do you say Allahu Akbar and when do you say Tasmiyah and when do you say Tahmeed, okay? Um, but what they did say to us is that you do it between the two rukans each time, okay? So um, they said when you're saying Allahu Akbar, you do it between standing and bowing. Those are the two rukans, yep? So it's in between. But what does that mean, in between, all right? Does that mean because you know what that could happen? I could therefore be standing and, you know, um, Allahu Akbar. Yeah, so I've said that right at the end. That's still in between. Or, Allahu Akbar. That's in between as well. Then the third one, and I've covered this obviously last year, is, Allahu Akbar. So in the third one, you saw that I did it like right in the middle. Yeah, like in between. In between yani the, 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 you know, the, the, the two. So the question is, how accurate do you have to be and, and how exact does it need to be and so on and so forth. And likewise, when you're doing the takbir for the sajda. Okay. So, okay. And you stood up. Allahu Akbar. That's what people normally do. And we've, I don't want to go over this because I spent like maybe what, three weeks on this issue last year or two years ago. You know, you're going to, uh, the Imam who understands, he will say that takbir going all the way down. But then you've got some Imams who will say Allahu Akbar at the, whilst they're standing up. And the problem with that is that people in the back, they, as soon as they hear the takbir, they go straight down and you'll find a whole lot of people that will get down into the sajda before you even uh, do that. Okay. And so, what we're saying is that you've got to kind of make sure that you time it right. And the other way of, you know, which is wrong, is that you go all the way down because you know that they're really quick on their feet. So I'm not going to say the takbir until I'm right down in the sajda. Well, that's wrong because you're in the rukan already now. Okay. So as Mesa said, okay, as Mesa is saying rather, that last year we said you start saying it when you start moving into position and you finish the statement as you are entering the new position. Correct. That's exactly that. So as you start moving from the rukan, that's when you start, and you should have finished before you technically get into the rukan itself. Yeah. So that's the general kind of uh, uh, understanding. So the sheikh basically says, if someone says it's got to be absolutely exact, because you know if you start it just before, then that's in the wrong place, and if you finish afterwards, then you finished in the wrong place. So you know how does it work? And basically, the sheikh says that it's impossible to be so accurate. And uh, uh, but you can't just start before and you can't do it at the end. It's got to be in between. But Sheikh also says, uh, Sheikh also says there's another position. Uh, there's another argument for this that some scholars put forward, and it is explained in one of the books of uh, commentary and Insaf. Okay, as well, the reference is given there at the bottom, volume two, page four hundred and seventy-four, where he says that. You know, uh, uh, there are some scholars that says, you know what, if a person starts a little bit before, meaning yani, before they've started moving, so whilst you're still standing in the rukan, and ends whilst they're actually down in the sajda, then that's not a problem, as long upon the condition that during the act, some part of the dhikr has been mentioned. So in this argument, right, this would be acceptable. Okay, for going to Rukwa, yeah. Allah, 
So you saw in the, the eyesight, my Allah was, I was proper standing. I hadn't moved, but I was still going down and say Allah Akbar like that. You got what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so the other one is to say, for example, that th this would therefore be acceptable as well. Allah Akbar. So you saw that I had not finished the takbir, right? And um, I, I, I said it whilst I was in Rukua, but I had started a portion of it beforehand. Okay, a portion of it beforehand. And for that reason, the scholars, some scholars, they said that, well, that if, yani in the movement part, there's a hadhun min hadhu dhikr, there is a portion of it, law bada bi takbir qabl al hawa, okay, or, or, wa kammalahu fi hal, yani, for example, he starts, but he completes it when he's in the actual position, and so on and so forth, then that is something which is uh, permissible. And Sheikh Uthameen has always preferred this position. He has always adopted a much more relaxed position to this. And I've got to say, I feel a lot uh, my, myself that that's the position that uh, our teachers and I feel more comfortable with. And obviously, it is that, you know, which is a number of the contemporary scholars, not so much of the classical scholars, I may add. And that's important. So the traditionalist approach yani, is a more stricter one that, that will not allow any portion to, to flow over into each uh, rukan. So... And Sheikh Uthameen is using general evidences, frankly, okay? Nothing, uh, whatever. He goes that basically, it's, uh, you know, this is not such an exact science where people are timing these things. And the vast majority of people fall into this category where their beginning and ending points kind of, you know, overlap with the rukan that they're in. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and if we were to make it, you know, so exact, it would become a difficulty, which is not too much, too much in our religion, too much. And so... And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-Hajj that he has not placed difficulty upon you in this uh, religion. And in Baqarah 185, Allah wants ease for you, not that which is difficult. So, Sheikh says, if we were insisting on the first position, which has to be starting uh, in between and has to finish before, and it can't be in an overlap, he goes that we would make many people's prayers invalidated or and making them do haram actions or they're not fulfilling the obligation and they're not doing such a circle. So this is his point, trying to make it yani, um, uh, uh, thinking. And then he just repeats that point that, you know, there are some people that even intentionally delay. We're not, we, and you shouldn't be doing that. Just we're saying, just because we're saying that you can be relaxed at the beginning and end point, that doesn't mean you do what I, what I just gave the example of that. And Imam says, you know what, they're going to rush. So I'm not going to give, I'm not going to say Allah, but until I get all the way down to the bottom, then I'm going to say it. So that I get the first one down. Well, that's the only playing around with the with the thing, and you can't do that, you know, in, in, intentionally. That's playing around, and that's something which is an ishtihad, which is against the sunnah. And the Prophet have never done that. And and um, you know, if there was something that people were worried about, then they would uh, they would uh, they would have done it. The Prophet would have advised it, but he didn't. So we shouldn't either. And the last panther knows best. I think we're going to stop there with respect to the text. Okay, folks, I think we're going to stop there with respect to the text. Now we can do some issues of uh, thingy. Yeah, actually, a number of the fuqaha said the tasmi and tahmid are sunnah, but um, maybe we'll look at that, actually. I think we did. I'm pretty sure that we did before. Um, and uh, had us, to be honest, actually, everybody, um, the full evidence is concerning this. We've done before, as Mesa will tell you. And... Um, and we do try 
to not repeat things. Otherwise, it, I mean, obviously, I'm very rubbish at that. I know I repeat everything all the time, but at least we have the intention not to anyway, right? Okay, let's do some uh, questions here, folks. Majid said that if a person missed some fast during last Ramadan due to being unwell and traveling, what happens if those missed fasts are not made up for the next Ramadan? Can they still be made up? So, in my opinion, I think a person is in a lot of trouble if they don't do that, okay? Uh, a male. Um, unless they genuinely didn't get an opportunity to, to do it, then I think it's okay and they have to then make it up after this Ramadan. Um, but a person without excuse, I think that they should consider themselves in a bad position and they should give some sadaqa and so on. But I will tell you this much, that the um, uh, uh, woman who is who didn't fast because of um, she was breastfeeding and she feared some harm for her baby or she was pregnant and she feared harm for herself and it was a real harm. It wasn't just a theory. Okay, then uh, I think that this lady, if she hasn't caught up her fasts, I don't think that she's sinful. In fact, I don't even want to tell you my own opinion. My own opinion, she doesn't even need to make the fast up either. But yeah, you know, we'll do that another day. But for the male, I think that you know, he's got to be avoiding that situation because that's that's dangerous. Really, very little excuse. Um, can I address the issue of balancing hope and patience? By the way, are we doing the, 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 the end of life thing? Or is it just any just questions? Because I've got to prioritize. Are we just doing these? Let's have some clarity, uh, you know. And do I even need to explain that? Isn't that, I think, straightforward and done? Everyone's pretty much clear about the issue of medicine and medicinal treatment. Or or just give me some give me some uh, give me some feedback here, folks. Yeah. Um yeah, well, Mesa, I think she has a pretty strong vote. Yeah, and it always is vote. All right. Shazad is the one who obviously matters most. But Shazad's sitting there, I can tell you right now, he's chilling and drinking yani, uh, diet coking and chocolate right now for himself. Yani, so much Easter eggs, chocolate Easter eggs. Is that even halal? Can I just ask, can I ask, is it halal for a person to go and buy all these chocolate Easter eggs yani, on the cheaps? And why would a person do that? Anyway, diet coke, lemon and ice. He's chilling, bro. I tell you right now, he doesn't care what happens right now. Okay, um, so here's, here's what I think. Wallahi Burhan, to be honest, okay, um, my drink is in the thingy, but now I'm a serious subject, so I can't yani, go and get it now. If we were going to just do question and answers, then I would have got it. Let's prioritize that. We have name. he says that I work for the palliative care team. So this is a disaster out there, especially for the Muslim understanding about end-of-life care. SubhanAllah. Honestly, for the last maybe 15 years, um, this has been something important for me. A um, little background, a little bit of background. Bro, all of us are buying the eggs. Let's just get that out of the system, okay? Hadis, we're going to make that decision on the classes next week, okay? That decision on the classes is going to happen next week, all right? And we'll do the Ramadan thing next week as well. And Shazad is asking a, a question which... There's no doubt some ulterior motive. He's saying, is it haram for someone to ask somebody to go and buy them? Now, I ask you, yeah, what earth could be the ulterior motive of someone who's asking that question? Like, what do you think he's trying to say by that? I don't know, okay? Um, now, uh, let's, go, let's go back to the serious issue now, all right? No more you know, jokes now. Let's just talk about this um, end-of-life situation. I want to give you a little bit of uh, background so obviously I work in clinical pharmacy and, uh, you know, neonatal kind of, uh, I went to community because that's where the money is. 
but that's where my real work is. And, uh, you know, you're dealing with the hospital situation, very, very sick, sick people, very, very sick people. And um, what happened is you just become aware, you know, of how poor the, the provision is in the community when it's not in hospital. That was when I was introduced to the concept of hospices. And so when I was a young and fit guy, young and fit, okay, uh, in the early kind of 2000s and then mid 2000s, then the charities that I would run for were always the hospices. And I always used to look after my uh, local St. Anne's Hospice. Now, uh, anybody who's in the UK knows what a catastrophic situation is for the hospices. They're not supported by the government. They have to raise money themselves. And I can tell you right now that it costs absolutely hundreds of thousands of pounds to run these hospices. And they do an incredible job. Man. They just respect and honor people, whatever faith they are, they come in and they give them you know, some really, uh, uh, you know, some really good, kind of um, care and honor and respect in the family and so on. Now, we've got two problems at this moment in time, Muslims and then the situation. So the Muslims are a people who generally are just ignorant about their religion, but for some reason they've got this kind of idea. No, no, it's, it's not fair. Sorry, that's not fair. Let me start again. It's not because they've got some reason. It's because suicide and euthanasia has conceptual kind of ideas, which by the way, in wider society, and you've got to remember, like I said in the video that I recorded a couple of days ago, that in the West, when you have a people who do not believe in the hereafter, then they're really holding on to life. And so therefore you've got this real kind of opportunity to look after people um, via ventilators and life support units and machines and dialysis and X and Y and Z and you know lots of carers and the whole national health service in the UK and then around the world so many of the hidden people are built around the idea of even allowing a lot of people to continue and so it's actually uh, this sounds horrible but you know ill people that are, are around for a long time sustain the jobs of hundreds of thousands of people carers hospice workers, you know, palliative care teams and all the rest of it. Um, I say that because if I was in charge, I'd half that entire, you know, my point is, is that it really does depend upon your ideology behind it, okay? So if you're holding on, then it's the quality of life is kind of, kind of, yani, not as important as holding on and actually still enjoying some kind of life. Whereas the believer knows that, and yeah, this is a flipping adab, sujun al-mu'min, our Jannah to Kafir, the prison of the believer, the paradise of the of the disbelievers, this life, and we want to get to the next. So we shouldn't be holding on. But if you're living in the West and you've got all of these yeah, things around you and the systems, then you start to believe in it. And if you're in healthcare, then you start to really make that your your absolute focus and your your your, your whatever. So you've got that. At the same time, you've got these two concepts which have been dramatized and made celebrity-esque. So you big, big kind of, you know, celebrities and heroes do suicide. And it's not, it's almost seen as a brave thing to do. And uh, um, I don't mean that from a medical or political point of view. I mean, from in certain celebrity circles and people then start to get the wrong idea of that as well. And then you've got the idea of euthanasia which is also you know, practiced by some people. Now, in our texts, it's absolutely so clear that suicide is from the most serious and major of sins, likewise euthanasia. And so that, that fear from the, re the religious uh, uh, angle has entered so deep into the hearts of the Muslims, just like the hate of alcohol and pork. That's the best example. Like in our hearts and minds, 
you know, there are certain things that are so, so halal, so, so haram in our minds, يعني, yeah, more haram than the actual haram level itself, such as drinking, uh, uh, you know, eating bacon or drinking alcohol, which frankly, they're not major, major harams يعني, on the major haram list, yeah, or dogs, exactly. And uh, suicide is something there like that. And euthanasia, it's entered into our hearts, يعني, that these are the major shockers. And I think that the Muslims culturally have got that mixed up with end-of-life yani, planning. And so the discussion of turning a machine off or to maintaining someone is immediately equated and uh, culturally kind of understood to be similar to this whole, you know, suicide or whatever. And so we have to educate people at, and start from the beginning. And starting at the beginning means looking at the human body and what is life understanding that it has a role and it has karama. Yeah, the stupid dog started again, right? It knows this. It really does know, isn't it? Maybe, subhanAllah, maybe that this is because we became serious for the first time in the lesson. We're actually doing some good. Maybe the angels have come down and the dogs have seen it. You never, never know. You just never know. Anyway, and uh, anyway, so Allah. But this is a serious point because um, uh, uh, the, the, the life, the noble life of a human being, is one of activeness, of ibadah, of whatever. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We didn't create the, the jinn and the insects except to be except to worship. And if a person is completely out and not of any function or very ill or whatever, one of these key functions has been yani, suspended, which is to worship. Now, some people would say, well, actually, he's still getting reward, which is technically correct. A person who used to worship in his good time then is always in a state of worship in his bad time when he is uh, uh, incapacitated or has some kind of problem. But I mean, yeah, properly being useful and so on and so forth. And so um, the idea that, uh, you know, that we must keep life going even if you have no capacity to maintain itself is not supported by the evidences and that's why the vast majority of scholars considered medical treatment to be a uh, uh, uh something which is not obligatory something which is allowed or something which is a sunnah but never obligatory and when you go through all the evidences and this is not the time for that okay then um you'll see that this is a thing uh, by the way i tell you something interesting little anecdote of one of the reasons why I found the Hanbali Madhab kind of to my heart. Because I've never been, you know, back in the days when I started practicing, I started studying uh, under my teachers. I was never fussed so much by, I, I, and I'm still now not fussed by any Madhab. I'm not, I've never been a massive fan of Madhab. I think it's important for the for the beginners to start off with Madhab and whatever. And I think it's important for everyone to stay to a Madhab. But, I, you know, I'm very, very much a believer that, that, everyone has got to try to aim, even if they only remain in a method, but you've got to still aim to understand in the source. And there's a lot there to understand within a method. Don't get me wrong. Don't make me believe, don't think that you can only do that if you leave a method. That's just nonsense. But I just want you to know that that uh, there comes a time where you realize that the modernity is only going to be solved as challenges outside of a madhab, not yani within one. And you only realize that when you get to an age and you only realize that when you're hit with, with scenarios where the genuine only solution is a fatwa that goes outside of the madhab. But anyway, anyway. Um, so, correct. I only consider medicine to be a permissible act, not sunnah and not obligatory. And the, one of the reasons why I started to become attracted to the humbly school, okay, um, and then study it and then teach it, even though I'm not a expert in it by, by any means of the imagination not even a beginner in it frankly um 
is because the Hanbalis or my Hanbali teacher was the first person who said to me that actually it's makroo to take medication. Makroo to take medication. I was like, grass, I'm here as a pack where it's obligatory. Yeah. And I've just been slapped down by this scholar here who said that in our school it's makroo. And he didn't mean all of medication. He was saying that, you know, he's referring to um, certain types and so on and so forth. Now, you've got to remember. Uh, and so, so some of them, yeah, they said that the argument are, are, are is because you start to lose your tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you start to kind of, you know, put more trust uh, in the doctor and whatever. And by the way, that's definitely happened in our society. We worship doctors because and consultants and, and treatments and therapies and scientists and vaccines. And like at this moment, it's like this virus, this crisis is the absolute thingy. I'll give you, I'll give you, uh, you know what, let me share something with you. Uh, Sheikh Kehlan was, um, you know, an Arab uh, social media, okay? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, actually, a name. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I never bothered to actually go and look how much of a mu'atamid position this is in the madhab, right? But for me, uh, you know, he said to me that this is our, yani, this is what we consider. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm taking that. That's my position, man. I'm taking it. And then I realized I couldn't, as a pharmacist, yani, maintain that position considering my whole job is about medicine. But at the personal level, I've always kind of used that as a base unless I'm feeling pain or whatever. Now, I remember Sa'adi, yani, he uh, used to hold, uh, some of my own teachers were his direct students, um, uh, used to say that the other reason is not just tawakkul, but also um, because it makes a person weak. Now that, okay, is very much down my street. As a pharmacist, you can imagine that, you know, uh, we're so very careful about over-prescribing antibiotics, the overuse of painkillers, the decreasing of your threshold to pain. And all of that is ruined, what I've just said. So you reduce the amount of medication. You actually make yourself weaker against infection if you keep taking all the antibiotics all the time. You definitely, if you keep taking paracetamol every single time that there's a pain, you're going to be in some real pain and then you're in a lot of trouble. You have to go right up the painkilling ladder to, 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 to... So this makes a lot of sense. Just akalan, it makes a lot of sense, okay? And then uh, 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 and then the tawakkul thing. Sorry, I, I, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Solange, you're absolutely right. I was uh, the, um, the point I was about to make is that right now, look at how many people are waiting for the virus and for them everything uh, for the vaccine. Sorry, and they're thinking that life will change when the vaccine comes out. And I was discussing with Sheikh Kehlan, okay, just recently. A hadith Ibn Hajar, you know, has a book written about the plague and viruses, and uh, in this book. Um, he makes a statement. He says that whenever historically we had a virus, it would come, yeah, uh, really rear its head and get strong in the springtime and it would always die out in the summer, historically speaking. Okay? Um, and there are some hadith which indicate that by the time that the thoria comes and the, yani, you know, uh, like it's almost possible from a constellation point of view in terms of the movement of the uh, uh, kind of the comets and the stars and so on and so forth, yani, uh, not astrological, astronomical, okay, um, that that uh, it can go. And that a punishment that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which of course the virus is, okay, a punishment is only something which 
uh, a punishment doesn't have to follow science rules. So theoretically, of course, we know that herd immunity is the only actual way that the virus is under control. When a you know, 60 to 70 percent. You heard 60 percent. Yeah. And when we were younger, we were always brought up, you know, when the great from those who are from my generation, the green vaccine book. Um, 70 percent is, you know, uh, a safer bet. But let's say 60 percent is good enough as well, especially if the, if the kids are involved. Um, if they get that infection, then you've got a, um, a good percentage chance of the virus then not affecting many people at all. So that herd immunity is a period of time that will take a long time. And it's not, um, it's not something which is going to go away with just one, uh, you know, a uh, couple of months. But you can see that it's going to take a long time. So when you hear a hadith that says that it will suddenly stop, bam, in a month's time, okay? And that date, yeah, according to the constellation, whatever, of Thraya is meant to be May 11th, by the way. And that's, of course, which is the date which Macron has said that the lockdown is going to be lifted. So you can see all the conspiracy theories out there. It's, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, now, off, outside of the conspiracy theories, what about the fact that um, if this is a punishment, why does it need to wait for as long as the science indicates and herd immunity for it to come into action? Why can't it be a short, sharp punishment and that's it? Why can't be? Because historically speaking, when the Prophet said that the wabat was sent, this uh, this plague was sent against Bani Israel as a punishment, he didn't say that it lasted for years and years and years. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, seven days and eight nights, bam. And uh, the punishment was sent. Sometimes it's only given a defined time. It doesn't matter whether everyone has tasted the punishment or not. So it could be that it's there for a period of time. But my point is, is that if I was to now discuss this, how serious are you taking this? Versus that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will stop it literally in three weeks' time. Yeah. How's your iman and your belief in Allah and trust in Allah that that could happen? Versus, man, you know what's going to be here for a year because we haven't got the vaccine for a year. That is the impact of secular um, values. And that is the impact of us being so dependent upon medication. So I love the opinion that medicine and use of medicine is makro. If only to just calm the people down from their arrogance, okay? Yeah, we want to go hatchback, but anyway. So, yeah, I hope that that makes sense. And so that's just a little bit of an anecdote, one of the reasons why I really kind of liked the Humbly School, and I, I, I really kind of found it. I liked it. You know, it gave me an opinion, and it fitted with my science, fitted with my psyche. And uh, I've never been a strict Humbly, but I did always like it as a reference. It's got some really nice positions. I'm really kind of happy with it. Anyway. And it, of course, it's the it's the madhab of the greatest person in history, Ibn Taymiyyah. You know, I'm obsessed with him, but that's just the enemy subjective. Right. So, um, medicine, therefore, is, in my opinion, something which is permissible or permitted or recommended at best and not obligatory. Um, and many hadith to support that. The Prophet ﷺ was asking always people to... Uh, be patient with their conditions and but uh, but also telling people that the cure is around if people want to look for the cure all right that's in summary and so therefore to put take it to its uh, end um, i believe that it is permissible then for muslims to sign do not attempt resuscitation uh orders uh dnar or dnr do not resuscitate or they can sign a will uh, and leave in their notes that listen if i become very ill or i become uh, into a coma i do not want to be are uh, revived um and likewise do uh do i have to um 
And you might think that that is, um, you know, most of the people who sign a DNAR, all right, they do that because the doctor tells them that your body is too frail and you have too many comorbidities to survive the, the attempt or it's going to be a really um, uh, intense and invasive process upon you. So we don't want you to go through that. Okay, so that's that will be the argument. Um, but which is which makes a lot of sense. And so that's not a no brainer, in my opinion. Okay, but what about a person who doesn't have a comorbidity? and says that, okay, but if I go out, I don't want you to, to bring me uh, back to life. And um, um, I think that, in my personal opinion, I think that there's space for that, okay? Especially if the attempted resuscitation does not guarantee some kind of uh, fixing of the situation, if that makes sense, if that makes sense. And so for that reason, I just want you to know that um, it's not the big haram that people make it out to be I don't think that we should be sitting for hours and hours and years and years on life support machines. And that's not life. And I think turning off these things and allowing a person to try to breathe and survive by themselves and then them passing away, that's not murder. It's not euthanasia. It's not suicide. It's nothing. And the last part knows best. So I'll take some uh, specific questions that, I, I, you know, my mind's gone all over the place. And I don't, uh, maybe I'm not well, I don't know what's going on. But I just want to just answer some of these questions. We were forced to sign a DNR form for my grandmother last year. It was very confusing and difficult to understand that in light of our faith. And as I said to you, because when you're thinking about got to keep alive, got to be, you know, can't suicide, you do believe that. But in actual fact, I'll tell you that I think it's the absolute right of a country and a health system to say we're not going to spend resources on people who are already done good innings, already lived a long time, are very weak, can cause more problems. Absolutely. I, I, now, the, the, as I, I was saying to one of the doctors today, the real test is when you do it to your own parents, the people that you love. You know, I, I got when I was younger. Now people don't cuss me so much because this has become white and they realize they're not messing around with someone. But when I was younger and I said this 15 years ago, they were saying, give me the finger, say, you little yani, idiot, shut up, man. We'll, we'll see whether yani, you'll do that to your parents. And, you know, they always used to say, we'll only believe when you actually live and walk the walk, which is a fair point. I have to say, I, th I thought it's a fair argument. Um, but um, I think I am. I think I am there. I'm there with myself. I think I'm there with my parents. I'm thinking whatever, whatnot. I think that um, I do believe what I'm saying. And I would encourage those people that are around me and so on and so forth to, to believe that and, and live that. Mariam is saying that my grandfather was removed from machines and lived a few more days. And I've met someone that told me that's haram. And I think people that, I think people think they're removing some of those types of, uh, types of care as murder or euthanasia. Yeah, exactly that. And it's just absolutely not right. And uh, uh, that's not true. And yeah, I know people can feel that they're being bullied. I know. Um, and that's why I've said in any fatawa that I released earlier or before or any videos that we believe in the sincerity of the doctor. Now, the classical scholars, they or, or other scholars, non-Muslim in Muslim lands, they would always insist that it has to be a Muslim doctor that makes the decision because they thought that you know what, only a Muslim doctor will care about the religious rights and values. This is the irony. If they came to ask me or any Muslim doctor that I believe is on the proper kind of, you know, haqqi, and they're the ones who are going to say, yeah, turn it off, man, not a shadow of a doubt. They're thinking that the Muslim doctor is the one who's going to protect him more. I actually think that the religion is not a condition. I've always said that. And myself and Mufti Zubair were doing the fatawa the other day for Al-Qalam, and we also agreed on that as well, that religion is not a requirement whatsoever, just a sincere doctor, not a, not, not a Harold Shipman who wants to kill you, yani, obviously. I'm talking about any, any normal professional doctor who... Um, 
uh, they make the decision that we don't want you to do DNR, I think it's absolutely fine. Now, Samina says, my mother is shielding. Her GP told her if she catches the coronavirus, she will not be intubated, okay? Resuscitation is futile, wants us to get a DNR. So I know this is very difficult for me just to throw on you, Samina, but if this is my situation, and I am told that the, uh, because like, for example, my mother right now, she's like uh, 55, so she's, how old is my mum now? She is 45, 65, yeah, 65. Um, she doesn't have any comorbidities. She's quite young. And surprise, surprise, she will not be told to have a DNR. Um, and I would expect that. And now you might say, right, well, that's easy for you. But if I say to you now that if she was 85 and she did have some other conditions, I would be expecting the, the doctor say to me that we're not going to intubate. Intubating is horrible. Sticking that thing down, throat, breathing, whatever, blah, blah. It's a mission, bro. It's a mission. Resuscitation, banging on the chest, blah, 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 blah. So I'm saying that there is a person who's ill and age and, you know, and now obviously if someone is not ill and young, then definitely we want to know what the hell's going on. But generally our hospitals get it right more than they get it wrong. And these decisions are not some random ones. They're based upon algorithms. And these algorithms, one of my very closest friends and he's a student and someone I've known for a very long time, he's one of the leading doctors in this country, A&E specialist. He's, um, he's the clinical director of Whoops Cross. He is one of the most experienced doctors actually in this country with military medication, meaning those that are on the field, okay? Um, that's why, you know, I'm so blessed, yeah. I'm able to move, go straight to the very top, yeah. You know, don't, don't waste time, just go to the very top. Uh, Imran, his name is, yeah, he, when it comes to, I remember in 2005 when we went to Pakistan in the in the earthquake industry, earthquake, earthquake um, the big earthquake, and, you know, teams went from here. I remember when we went, listen, my guy was, you know, the big thing was we need professionals are able to operate with nothing. You know what I mean? War medicine. He's a, he's a king, man, I'm telling you. You know what he said to me? He said to me that we've not reached capacity, but reaching capacity is not the basis for a DNR. A DNR. It genuinely is whether we think that there's a real hope that this person's going to, you know, recover and whether they've got what it is. And he goes that we make an assessment that, listen, you're not, you know, you might come on now, but we've got capacity, but you're going to have to be on this machine for three, you know, days, or, sorry, three weeks, four weeks, and, and so on and so forth. And so, listen, the, the evidence is there, the dean says it there, the health says there, but ultimately emotion is what's more important, right? It's your mum, isn't it? Yeah, it's your grandmother, it's your grandfather. You never want to let go. You're always thinking that, um, thinking. so I, I, I always, I, I, it's not bad either. I would sign a DNR for someone in my family without a shadow of a doubt, but it can't be someone who's got no comorbidity, someone who's living a solid life, doing good work. But if I see pain, I see this, I see that. What the heck, man? What am I holding on to for? Go, man, go. Yeah, I'll cry, we'll cry, we'll cry, whatever, whatnot. But what the heck, man? Yani, you know, uh, I got a call the other day about the the the, the and it was late, difficult mission. There's COVID come in, and I can the, the, the organizer said, you know what? If you're busy, I can tell them that you can do it the next day. You can do it the next day. Well, lie, my 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 skin. You know, I was lying down and my skin was like crawling. They're going to put this person in the fridge. And because of my 
plans and you know wait for me to go the next day i said no forget it whatever happens I, i'm gonna come down forget it i just there's nothing i didn't know who the person was but i thought myself and you know what i thought myself this is not because i'm religious and you know everyone knows i'm not religious and i'm not modest yeah i'm not whatever i said to myself the prophet said that yani, hasten with this anybody because the body does not want to stay here it wants to go to where it should be and uh, I'm going to stay in the flipping fridge because I bought you said yani, lazy fish yani, can't come out and change his pants well, I thought, what the hell am I talking about so if I'm worried about washing a person who's already dead and I'm worried let alone a person who's dying yani, I'm in pain who needs to be put out of their pain and all whatever uh, so um yeah, I do. There was someone who asked a question that I've heard. Yeah, there it is. I've heard that if there was a life-saving treatment that can save you with certainty, you are obligated to take it. Yeah, that's that, that's something else though, right? That is actually in line with that. that that's the reason that you're obligated with that is because um, that's almost like suicide. Almost like suicide. Right? And it's like someone... Uh, 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 I mean... I'm just going to say this. Someone gives you a grenade and they take off the pin. Yeah. And they give it to you and you have to hold it in your hand like this. Yeah. Only for a few minutes. And you say to yourself, if I let go of this, I'm going to die. But hold on. I'm not obligated to stand here like this. Yani, which you're not. And hold on to that, which you're not. But if you were to take, if you take your finger off, then it blows up. You say, well, you know what? This is a good way of going out. And it's not going to be my fault because yeah, he's the one who pulled it out and I'm not obligated to hold on to it. So you let go and you blow yourself up. It'd be haram, isn't it? That's why the scholar said it's obligatory that if there is something which is definitely going to save your life for you to do, and there's absolute certainty about it, like bleeding out or whatever, whatnot, then. Um, yeah. By the way, I, I, ideally, I just want to say I don't think this is an ishtihadi issue. There is no ishtihad. I don't believe that there's not no ishtihad, but there's much. The, the vast majority of scholars do not consider it obligatory to intubate, okay? Uh, intubate, intubate, whatever. So, not incubate. It's not incubate. It's intubate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. There are doctors that stop feeding the old, so they will eventually die of hunger and thirst. What does that, what does one do? And not I, I don't believe that, by the way, Iram. I think that might be an odd case here and there. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, that might have happened, but that's not the norm. I mean, that's madness. I don't think that's possible. Sorry. Awais, you know, Imran Zia, yeah? Sick guy. Salman, you might, Dr. Salman, yeah? Uh, important for healthcare professionals to take some time to fully explain what the DNA, DNA, DNR, do not attempt CPR form is and what it means. There's a lot of misinformation and much of the public are not aware of what it is. It's now called, obviously, the respect form. Plus, there's less able to process the information if the discussion is being had at emotional time. Absolutely. And that's the whole point. You have this discussion in calm times and scenarios. Iram, I don't think it's as common as you make it out to be, genuinely. Um, and I think we've got to be careful about comparing intentional restriction of certain food Versus uh, thinking, rah, so we're doing two hours. Guys, this is you taking liberties, man. Come on. Hiba, yeah, whatever Hiba has just said. Um, no, 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 Iram. Like, hospices, that's different, man. 
his hospices is different. Hospices is like, yani, you know, you're going down. You're out on the way out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not on the issue of medicine. All right, guys, this we're going to stop, man, because Jazad's uh, having kittens. He's saying two hours what that was going on. And I haven't prayed this out. And they're waiting. Jazakumullah khair, folks. And uh, inshallah, we'll tune in next week. Barakallahu feek. Apologies for being so long. Sorry, I'm trying to finish here. I've got to do this, haven't I? All right. No, no, I said that the asal sunaj is that it is mubah. But if it is yani, going to lead you to dying, then obviously you need to, like in the example I gave, that's something very different. But the basic principle is mubah. All right, guys, jazakumullah khair. Allah ta'ala alayhi wa sallam. Subhanakallah wa alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah wa alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah wa alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah wa alayhi wa sallam.